It's 12.09. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 27 degrees outside. As I frequently say, I, I do think we do snow very, very well around here. And uh, we had a lot of snow over the course of the last 36 hours or so. And admittedly, when we were on the air yesterday, there were a lot of issues on the side streets and things like that. But I am amazed that, again, how well things have cleared up. Coming into work today, no problem at all. I understand that there's you know, some lanes that might be a little bit shorter because they got giant snow banks or something. But I think this is, again, it's a testament to all the different plow drivers and folks that are out there clearing things up in the wake of snow. I have actually decided if, if you want to get number one great service and number two, you know, pretty much any table you want, you, you go out to a restaurant that the night after a, a snowstorm um la- last night we were scheduled to go out with a couple friends of ours two couples and none of us even thought about canceling it because well you know we, we were going we knew we were going to be able to get where we were going and we just had a great time with our friends and no problem getting in for a table for six where we went which is absolutely great and we drove past all these restaurants and the parking lots were empty because yes people didn't want to go out but if you could get out it was just a great opportunity to do that all right let's talk a little bit about today we have the funeral of uh, fallen milwaukee police officer matthew rittner that's going on it's in the process of starting we are live streaming the entire funeral and you can check that out on again wtmj.com during at some point in time in the funeral service there will be a series of eulogies given one by uh, milwaukee police chief morales who will be giving one of the eulogies we're going to dip in and my intention is to carry that one there are other eulogies as well if you want to hear all of them and watch the the entire process again you can go to wtmj.com as we live stream that so you can check that all out later on there's going to be another longer procession and i know depending on when that procession starts we'll be giving you coverage of that i know john mccure is going to devote a good portion of wisconsin's afternoon to news to doing that so we are aware that the funeral is going on and we're providing you various avenues that you can check it out if you want to watch that coverage just an incredibly tragic story i want to start off and by the way as we do for every first couple segments of the program We are live streaming on Facebook Live, so you can go to facebook.com slash 620WTMJ, and you can watch and you can participate in that fashion as well. I I, I mentioned this story when Dan Bice of the Journal Sentinel first broke this last week, and I'm not even sure we took calls on it. I just offered a couple comments, and then the story got pushed to the back burner because of the you know, the, the the death of the police officer and then the death of the Milwaukee Department of Public Works worker and then all the bad weather. And it just, it hasn't gotten attention it deserved. And I was actually saying, you know, I want to revisit this at some point in time. And then I was inspired when Dan Bice, the guy who broke the story, sent out a, a tweet yesterday. And he said, you know, I, I, I mentioned this story last week. And it's interesting because when I pointed something, when I had a similar story involving Scott Walker eight years ago, people went absolutely ballistic. And what they ended up doing is ultimately the guy that got the job had to had to step down. And and Bice's tweet said, "What the difference? What's the difference?" I, I retweeted that yesterday, and my comment was, "Well, the the difference." is, of course, in these various stories that you're talking about a conservative Republican governor who hires the friend of a contributor 
And that becomes an outrage when you have a liberal Democrat sheriff who hires the unqualified son of a prominent local politician, that gets a different story. If you haven't been following the story, here's the deal. We have a new sheriff in Milwaukee County. Actually, I don't live in Milwaukee County anymore. So if you live in Milwaukee County, you have a a new sheriff, Ernell Lucas. Bice reports that Lucas has created a new position on his staff, chief of staff. Now, formerly sheriffs... Um, have have surrounded themselves with people who are in law enforcement. You know, they, they bring you bring in captains, things like that. People who have some knowledge of law enforcement and things like that, and, and they act as the closest advisors. Well, Ernell Lucas doesn't want to do that. Ernell Lucas has created a new position, chief of staff, and he has decided to fill that position not with anybody in law enforcement at all. Instead, he has created a position that will be paid $85,000 in taxpayer money, and he has decided to give the job to a guy named Ted Chisholm. Now, if you wonder, you know, why have I heard the name Ted Chisholm? No, you haven't heard the name Ted Chisholm because Ted Chisholm hasn't done anything. Ted Chisholm is the 20-year-old son of the district attorney, John Chisholm. Ted Chisholm is a college student. Ted Chisholm is not studying criminal justice. He's studying like some divinity-related thing at McAllister College in Minnesota. But but Ted, uh, Ted Chisholm is John Chisholm's 20-year-old son. No law enforcement experience, no legal experience, but, you know, you know, maybe at some point in time, you know, you could see getting a degree in criminal justice, but he's not even studying for that. He is what at least some Democratic insiders consider to be a courthouse rat. And they, they don't mean rat in the sense of he's an informant, but a guy who just is kind of a hanger on around the courthouse. And apparently he worked on Lucas's campaign, got paid like $4,000 for that. And Lucas is now turning around and rewarding him with an $85,000 a year job. He's 20 years old. He has no experience in law enforcement at all, no qualifications other than the fact that, well, he he perhaps worked on on the Lucas campaign and his father is the district attorney. Now, there's a number of Democrats. And and of course, let's face it. I mean, Milwaukee County is run by by Democrats. There's, There's a number of Democrats who, while they don't want to go on the record, are kind of raising their eyebrows, and and they're saying things like, well, this is really kind of like Chicago-style politics. You're appointing somebody barely out of his teens to a leadership position in a law enforcement agency. We don't know if this is cronyism. We don't know if it's nepotism, but it stinks to high heaven. Now, when Scott Walker, back in 2011, elevated a 27-year-old guy named Brian DeShane to an $81,000-a-year job overseeing environment and regulatory matters in the Department of Commerce. Uh, This guy's father was Jerry DeShane, who was a lobbyist for the Wisconsin Builders Association. Well, once that happened, it got reported. People went nuts. Here, you're elevating the 27-year-old, again, you're elevating the 27-year-old son of this donor, and ultimately what happened is DeShane ended up quickly leaving government office, you know, because of the pressure that was brought. So now, eight years later, you have a Democrat sheriff 
in the highly Democratic Milwaukee County who has gone out and appointed the clearly unqualified 20-year-old son of the Democrat district attorney who supported the sheriff when he was then trying to be the sheriff. And, And there appears to be like no outrage about this at all. Now, I understand on the one hand why there's no outrage. It's because, and we have seen this unfortunately for the last 20 years in Milwaukee County, going back to the late Tom Amont and the pension scandal, where you have all these cozy politicians who decide that they're going to take care of each other. Why is nobody publicly criticizing this move? Well, well, it's easy, because maybe the next time around, maybe you want, I don't know, you've got a, you've got a kid, or you've got a brother-in-law who's lost his job, and you've got your sister who's ragging on you, hey, you got to be able to get my brother-in-law a job, and you're a Democrat politician in Milwaukee County, well, you can't put him on your payroll, but you can call up one of your buddies and say, hey, um, you know, can you put my brother-in-law on your payroll? And they do it. It's one hand washes the other. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I don't I don't wish this young man ill at all. But at the same time, $85,000 a year for a job it is a lot. My guess is there's no way that this young man at the age of 20 without a college degree could go into the private sector and make anything close to $85,000 a year. My guess is also, if he wasn't related to the district attorney of Milwaukee County, he would not be on the payroll, or at least he wouldn't be on the payroll as the chief of staff, a position that essentially pays as much as a captain in the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department pays. This whole thing stinks to high heaven. It's not like, all right, you've got this kid who worked on your campaign, you need to you know, you, you want to find him some low-level job or something, they've created an $85,000 a year job for a 20-year-old without a college degree, without any experience in law enforcement at all. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just think this whole thing plain stinks. But because it's Milwaukee County, because you have this incestuous relationship between all the elected officials, this is the type of stuff which passes for, I guess, normal. We discuss in just a moment. 414-799-1620 is the number. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to check in, again, reminder, we are on Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, live streaming the segment as well. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This week's Spring Into Your Home Showcase is sponsored by Adair Floors and Remodeling. Get personal care by Adair. Mark in New Berlin. Mark, you're first. Good afternoon. Oh, my God. This reminds me of the Tom Amon days. It it, it does. You know, that's, as I've been thinking about this and just getting progressively a little angrier over the week, this is what happened. For people who don't remember from 20 years ago, you know, we had this incestuous relationship in Milwaukee County where all the politicians were buddies and everybody watched each other's hands and backs and nobody was watching out for the taxpayers. And like you say, it, it led to this whole pension scandal that has crippled Milwaukee because you know nobody was paying attention and nobody cared about these politicians taking care of each other and their kids and their families and their friends and this is just a repeat of that right and you know I'm just thinking here on this anniversary the sad anniversary that's more money than officer Rittner made as being a SWAT team member um, and he, yes and we have a 20 year old kid that probably 
Well, I mean, oh it's completely God. on. Right. Well, and, and I mean, that it's more than I mean, I starting salary, I think, for sheriff's deputies is I, I could be wrong about this, but I think it's around 45 grand or so. This is I mean, you for 85 grand, you can get a captain. I mean, how do you think members of the sheriff's department fa- feel? I mean, people that have been there for years and years and kind of work their, their way up and aren't making 85 grand a year find out that when the 20 year old son of the D.A. gets pulled out of college to come and be the sheriff's chief of staff. How, how does that look? It looks awful, because it is awful. It is. It's just something terrible. Well, you know, it's more terrible. The taxpayers have to pay for Well, it, it, it is. No, th- thanks for the call. No, look, I, I, I understand that David Clark was, was a lightning rod, okay? But, but David Clark, I mean, for all of David Clark's foibles and for all of the, the eye rolling and for all of maybe the questionable travel expenses and things like that, I mean, David Clark wasn't at least to my knowledge you know wasn't putting his his cronies he wasn't putting like his the friends of his politically connected kids on the payroll imagine if for example david clark had said you know what i'm going to create an eighty-five thousand dollar a year job and i'm going to hire one of scott walker's kids in college and i'm going to put them on the payroll and they're going to be my chief of staff because they understand politics can you imagine what the uproar would have been can you imagine what the uproar should have been and yet this is what is going on it is the type of cronyism nepotism, just sleazy decision-making that, unfortunately, I thought we had eliminated in Milwaukee County, but apparently it's making a big-time comeback. Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Uh, Jim Jim from Franklin, now Jim from Hales Corners. (laughs) Got it. And you know what? We couldn't get out of Milwaukee County. We're still in that cesspool. Right. Uh, but I have to say that uh, I voted for Schmidt, and I had major trepidation when uh, Lucas got in because he had been out of law enforcement for so long. And the hilarious thing now is that he's got the blind leading the blind. He should he should have hired somebody who's got a lot more experience to help him. Right. Well. 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 well exactly. You would have thought. That I mean, first of all, no other sheriff has ever had a chief of staff. Normally, they normally they surround themselves with law enforcement people. You know, a, a command staff, people who understand the operations of the sheriff's department, have experience in law enforcement, etc. So, I mean, that that's number one. But he, apparently, Lucas feels he's got to have some political operative at taxpayer expense. Okay, fine. But then, you know, you want to talk about insulting? You know, somebody that doesn't have a college degree, who's twenty years old doesn't have a college degree, no experience at all in law enforcement. I, th- there is no way that Ted Chisholm could find an $85,000 a year job in the private sector, but because he's Ted Chisholm and he's politically connected, the taxpayers pick up the tab, plus benefits, by the way. Well, everyone who lives in Milwaukee County who's hearing this now should call their supervisor and tell them this stinks. Uh, well, it, uh, yes, I mean, they, it, it just, it absolutely stinks to high heaven. Here's some tweets. Jeff, I have a 20-year-old daughter, a UWM junior, whose grandfather and great-grandfather were both Milwaukee police officers. Had I known the job was open, I would have had her apply. Well, yeah, but you you wouldn't have, she wouldn't have gotten it because she's not qualified, with all due respect, except for the fact, unless you happen to be the Democrat district attorney in Milwaukee County. Um, let's see, Jeff, my politics. 
politics are straight down the middle. I consider myself a Republican. The hiring of Chisholm's son is an unqualified sheriff's chief of staff is corruption and hypocrisy at the highest level. Great example of government waste and of corruption. Well, yeah, that's... That's sort of where you are on this. Here's another text. Jeff says, this is why I thought it was important to vote for Richard Smith. He would actually be trying to prevent the dangerous driving causing all the accidents about which I'm hearing about on the news instead of pleasing his colleagues. And again, this is this is, you know, this is the whole idea of of what's going on is that no, nobody raises questions. You you don't have Chris Abley criticizing this. You don't have anybody on the Milwaukee County Board of Supervisors who has the guts to come out and criticize this. And why? Again, because they're all joined at the hip. And if somebody comes out and denounces this today, well, okay, maybe it's their out-of-work brother-in-law, like I say, tomorrow that needs a job. And so, all right, so this is just the system. It's one hand washes the other. Look, this might be the nicest guy in the world. I, I don't know Ted Chisholm from Adam. I, I don't. But but I do know that he is not qualified for an $85,000 a year job at this point in his career. I believe he only got it because of his connections to the sheriff and because of the fact that he is the son of the district attorney. And it is disappointing that nobody in authority in Milwaukee County, other than the columnist at the local newspaper and maybe some other talk show hosts, feel you know, compelled to call people out on this. It's 1228. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1236. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One final thought on the er- Ernell Lucas and Chisholm Jr. It, it just, the whole thing just stinks. It, it just does. It is a disgrace, and it, it tells you, I guess, for anybody who thought that, okay, there's a new sheriff in town and this is going to be a different day, what you've seen is you see nepotism and cronyism and the taxpayers in Milwaukee County end up having to pay for it and shows why maybe it's unfortunate that a guy like Richard Schmidt, who was a career law enforcement officer, Richard Schmidt would have never done this. But Ernell Lucas does it and he gets away with it because, again, in Milwaukee County, this is the way you do business. You take care of your friend's kids. You take care of your fellow politicians, brother-in-law who's lost the job, and this is just the way we do it. One more text in this. Jeff, my son went to high school with Ted Chisholm. My son is currently a criminal justice major at Old Miss. He was infuriated when I shared this news with him. I don't care what political affiliation the kid has. He's a kid with no experience getting paid a ridiculous amount of money for being unqualified. <laughs> no kidding. That This isn't even a tough one. And this is what goes on in Milwaukee County. All right. I want to switch gears. If you are a regular listener to this program, you know that I'm not a particular fan of the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association, the WIAA. I think they tend to be obsessive about small rules, and then they oftentimes miss the big picture. Here's my other observation. This comes from somebody who is a sports fan. I go I go to a lot of basketball games, like college basketball games, for example, and I'm always kind of shocked at, in my opinion, how bad the quality of refereeing is. I think the game has gotten too fast. The basketball games have gotten too fast for the, the referees, and they end up making a lot of bad calls. And But that's... That's just me. You see it on the pro level. I mean, you saw how New Orleans, New Orleans should have been in the Super Bowl instead of Los Angeles, but you have all these referees who miss that pass interference call. So I understand that there is the frustration 
about things that happen on the field or on the court or whatever. And that's one of the reasons why you have instant replay to try to get it right. But but do we need the courts to be involved? Now, here's the story. There's a young man. He's a high school sophomore. Right now, he's a wrestler. Gru, who's producing the show today and always. Were you a high school? Do you ever wrestle in high school? You, you say, no, of course not. No, no, me, me, me neither. But interestingly enough, um, my, my stepdaughter's husband, he was a high school wrestler. He coached high school wrestling, and he's got um, a nephew who's a very, very good high school wrestler who's gotten a college scholarship. So it's kind of exciting. I mean, it's I really respect. I respect the kid. That's a tough sport. I mean, having to make weight and all that. Well, anyhow, there is a, a young man. He is a high school sophomore. He currently wrestles for Waterford. High school. Last year, he wrestled for Burlington High School. Last year, he won the 106-pound championship, state championship. So he's a very, very good wrestler. All right. Now, so here's what happens. February 2nd. He's competing um, in in a, a for a conference championship. Okay, and he's wrestling a kid from Union Grove in the closing section seconds of the match. And I'm describing this is the way the Racine Journal Times reports it. So he, he's wrestling for the conference championship. He's from Watertown. Closing seconds of uh, Waterford. I'm sorry. The closing seconds of the match. The referee. Guy is a former Union Grove coach who is now the athletic director at St. Catharines High School, who's apparently officiated the Southern Lakes Conference Tournament for eight straight years, gave one point to the guy's opponent for an escape. You know, they give you points in wrestling, and if you're in a hold and you escape, you can get one point. So the referee awards one point to Halter's opponent. The, the kid's name is Hayden Halter. To Halter's opponent for an escape. Okay. Uh, Halter's going to win. He's way ahead. Halter, along with his father and his coach, questions the call. Halter, this would be the sophomore, the young man, this is the way the Journal Sentinel reports, or the uh, Racine Journal Times reports it, stood up and says something to the referee. And a video of the match shows that. The young man, along with his father and his coach, says the kid said, what was that in reference to the escape call? The referee says the kid cursed him, and he, as a result of that, issued an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. All right, the kid, his father, and the coach say, no, that's not what happened. The kid didn't swear. Okay, so you get a one-point unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Moments later, after Halter and his opponent shook hands, Halter, that's the young man, was declared the victor. And there's a video of this, and, you know, they they raise his arm. At that point in time, he briefly flexed his muscles and yelled, yes, in celebration. The referee claimed that this flex was a taunt directed at the fans in the stands from Burlington High, his former school. The kid and his father said the celebration was directed at the father, although the father is not visible in the video of the match. Okay, so you you, you get the, the deal. After the flex... The referee issues a second unsportsmanlike conduct call. Now, it doesn't change the, the match outcome or anything like that. So you got the picture here. There, there's the, the kids winning this conference championship match. He gets one point assessed against him. 
get for, uh, again, the referee says he cursed at me, and then a second thing for celebrating for flexing his muscles. So these two unsportsmanlike calls, why does it make a difference? Well, because under WIAA rules, if you get two unsportsmanlike conduct calls, you get a one-match suspension, right? Why does that make a difference? Well, because the next varsity match is the qualifier for the state tournament. So effectively, by getting this suspension, the kid is not allowed to compete in the, in the state tournament. Right? What happens is unsportsmanlike conduct penalties are defined by the WIAA as a judgment call by the referee. And what they say is that judgment calls can't be appealed after the event is concluded for an initial review. I mean, their, their policy is what happens on the mat stays on the mat. The referee gives you this penalty. That's it. That's what the rules are. By giving these two penalties, what happens is the kid now can't participate in the state wrestling meet. All right. The parents um, don't think that that's right. And so what the parents do is they they sue and they say, look, you know, we're we we shouldn't you know, we should not. He should not be suspended for this. That what they tried to do to get around the suspension is they tried to enter him in a junior varsity meet and say, we're going to enter him and then we're going to we'll we'll treat that as a suspension. And the WIA said, no, no, you can't do that. So what happens is the family sues. The family says, uh, you know, we, we, we want to appeal this. We don't think this is right. We think this is unfair. We think that the kid didn't swear. We think that the kid, the flex, really wasn't this. We disagree with the referee's interpretation. The WIAA says, look, this isn't an appealable sort of thing. This is, this is the way it works. It's in the referee's discretion. Whatever the referee says goes. Now, it becomes interesting because Friday afternoon, after a two-and-a-half-hour hearing, a Racine County Circuit judge issued an injunction blocking the suspension of the kid, which essentially will now allow him to participate in the state wrestling tournament that he otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. And the WIAA is not happy with this. They're saying, okay, th- this, is, this is unprecedented. Um, you you know you you know what what goes on on the mat stays on the mat, and the argument that WIAA makes is you you can't have a, a circuit court judge essentially being like a video being like a video review person of you know what goes on on a match a day later a week later two days later they say this is a very slippery slope and and the court should stay out of this. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what what do you think? Should you be able to go to the courts to appeal decisions made by in this case it's a ref, uh, uh it's a wrestling referee that that might uh, affect you. Here like I say, they thought the kid was guilty of unsportsmanlike conduct. Kid says no, I didn't swear. Kid says no, I didn't really mean to that this flex wasn't intended to be a taunt. That's not how the referee interpreted it, and he assessed these penalties. Do you want courts involved with this or is what goes on on the mat or what goes on on the court is that where you need to leave it for high school high school sports? I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. Twelve forty six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. What do you think? Twelve forty nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I have a text. 
Fifth, courts are the society's absolute decision maker. Who made a part-time referee king? I could not, at least as applied here, disagree more. I mean, if you're just tuning in, the deal is you've got this high school sophomore who's a very, very good wrestler. He wins the conference championship a week or two ago, February 2nd. And then in the process, as he is winning, he's assessed two unsportsmanlike conduct uh penalties one for allegedly cursing at the referee he says he didn't do it the referee says he did and the second then for celebration for flexing his muscles he says well yeah i did it you can see him do it on the videotape but i didn't really intend it as a i I didn't intend it as a dig it was just something i was doing to my my father uh for for my father our number 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line i agree that the courts are society's ultimate decision makers but at the same time there have to be limits on where where you go and limits on appeals. I mean, seriously, in high school sports, do you now want parents to be able to sue? Oh, you know, my kid took a shot at the end of the game. The referee waved it off, um, said it, it came after the buzzer. The team didn't win. I, I, I'm going to sue. Um, uh, they called a foul on my kid. My child fouled out of the game, and now as a result of that, you know, he didn't get to play the last few minutes, so maybe this is going to hamper in the big game. Maybe this is going to hamper his ability to get a college scholarship. I, I At some point in time in the world of sports, you have to understand that there there are going to be bad calls. Look, I don't know anything about this referee. The guy's been doing this for years and years. He's an athletic director. Maybe he's a bad referee. Maybe these decisions that he made were wrong. Well, okay, at that point in time, then maybe you say we're not going to have him back to be the referee. But I, I think it's really, really scary if now you're going to be able to run into a courtroom anytime you want and challenge a decision that's being made on the mat or on the basketball court or, or on on the field at do you I mean do you really want to do that the WIAA is the one that sanctions the state events and I'm not necessarily a fan of a lot of the stuff that the WIAA does I mean I, I, I have all sorts of disagreements with them I think that the organization tends to be extremely anal about a lot of different stuff but at but but athletic events have to end and you have to have I, I think at some point in time a recognition that, all right, the referees are going to control this within the rules. And I think the WIAA certainly has a right to say in a wrestling match, all right, all decisions made by the referee are final. And then, of course, if the referee screws up, well, you say to the kid who who got, you know, who, you know, was on the wrong end of that, you say life is tough, get a helmet, and, you know, don't bring the referee back. But I, I don't know about you, but I don't want parents running to court. And, and this judge that decided to wade in and recede, really? Are these the kind of cases you want to handle all the time? Matt in Oconomowoc. Matt, you're on WTMJ. I've been in court a few times, and I thought courts were supposed to deal with legal issues. What is the legal issue here? Well, my guess is that I, I don't have the lawsuit in front of me, the specific claim. Um, my guess is that, I don't know, violating various rights of the rights of the kid and, you know, maybe denying him due process or something like that. And the harm would be he doesn't get a chance to wrestle in state. I don't know. 
You you have a right to wrestle in a state competition now. Well, that's <laughs> right. Right. It, no, I, I, it's, these are all fair questions. Don't get me wrong, because I'm certainly not defending the judge's ruling here. If I were the judge, I wouldn't have touched this with a with a ten foot pole. And and the WIA. And again, I'm not a fan of a lot of stuff they do, but they're like, really, you know, any time that some kid gets you know suspended <clears throat> or you know you have something that goes on in the game or or tossed out of a game, you're now going to allow them to run to court, and the judge is going to get involved now thanks for calling me i understand you know where i understand where they're going with this thing deb and racine deb you're on wtmj hi how are you well this i I just okay i'll just give you a little bit of insight i'm actually going to change my location from racine to waterford okay so um first of all a couple things where's the athletic director in all of this because everything we've read there's no mention of the athletic director right and then secondly his coach is a long-time Racine County wrestler. He tried to have him to serve his penalty on the JV team. Right, and they didn't let that. Direct, that is a direct violation of the rule. And this kid went to school in Burlington last year. Right, right. What did he do in Burlington that he's not still there? Did he cop the same attitude that he has here at Waterford? It, it's um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. But my, we pay taxes in Waterford. Mm-hmm. The, baby, the coach should be fired. He knew he was uh, not doing something according to the rules, and the kid appears to be, quite frankly, a little punk. Well, I mean, I guess you know, I, I, I mean, Deb, I, I, I don't know, I, I don't know anything about the the young man, but I, I do know. That this is, at least in my opinion, that, you know, athletic organizations, in this case the WIAA, you have to let them make certain rules. And the rule that says you can't appeal judgment calls by officials strikes me as being a reasonable rule because otherwise every time i mean i mean seriously let, let's take this to its logical extreme high school basketball i'm more familiar with basketball than wrestling high school basketball well the, the official called a foul you know in the first 3 minutes um of the game against my son they had to pull him out of the game so he didn't foul out so he missed a couple minutes i'm going to i'm going to sue the referee for making that call that's that's the effect of of, of what you get. You've got to, I think, allow referees to make these decisions. And I don't think it's an unreasonable rule to say, hey, the, the final arbiter is the referee. And then what happens is you've got a bad referee. Well, then you just don't invite them back. Let's talk to Jeff in Brookfield. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, uh, two things strike me. Uh, number one, by doing this and by the courts doing this, all you're going to do is chase more referees out of a game all the games that are too short of referees to begin with. Yes. Uh, number two is uh, when I was involved in soccer and uh, applies to a lot of sports, referee is part of field conditions. You know, right. you don't scream and holler at a ref unless you want to get a nice uh, card or whatever. Well, right. Yeah, let, let's take, let, let's, let's use your soccer example. That, that's a perfect example. You know, you get, I mean, I don't know how they do it in, 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 you know, high school and stuff, but if you get tossed out, you get a red card, does, and maybe the rules say you have to sit for the next game or something like that. Exactly. Should you be able to go to court? I mean, every, and, and say, well, no, I, you know, the referee was wrong in giving me the red card. I didn't say this or whatever. I mean, do we really, do we really want that to be happening? And my argument would be no. Well, the other the other problem is appearance, which it always seems to come back to. Until right. instead of telling little Johnny, this is what happened, this is what you did, this is the penalty you pay. 
right. for, for mouthing off or acting like that, they go right away and go to bat for them. Right. And, no. and so you wind up with uh, a society full of this. Yeah, exactly. Now, thanks. For, now, I mean, you can make all sorts of strong arguments that maybe maybe this is too harsh. Maybe for for penalties like this, the WIAA should have an appeal process. All right, that, that's, that's a fair argument. Maybe you should make an argument that this is too harsh, that the one-match suspension shouldn't apply when the next match is going to be a state qualifier. All right, th- th- those are all reasonable positions that you can take, and, and maybe you can convince the IA, WIA to change the rules. But to go to court... I just think it, it's wrong. I think the Racine judge was wrong, and I think you send the wrong message to high school sports. Mark the tape on this one. I'm with the WIAA. It's 1257. 110, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When uh, Milwaukee Police Chief Alfonso Morales gives his, his eulogy at um, Officer Rittner's funeral, we will dip in. We will carry that. The, we are live streaming at WTMJ.com, the entire funeral, if you want to check that out. In today's, in the 1 o'clock hour of today's program, a little bit later, I'm going to tell you the story of George the dog and what Waukesha wants to do with George. We will discuss. But I want to talk about the breaking national news, and it's kind of all over the map now. If you watch Fox News, Fox says that President Trump is undecided as to whether he is going to sign the, the deal that Congress is going to pass, presumably, tonight and tomorrow to avoid a shutdown. If you watch CNN, CNN says that Trump has already decided to do this. If you you know haven't been keeping score here, we all know that we had the longest government shutdown, partial shutdown, I guess, in, in history, and it was all based not on an overall disagreement about spending. A lot of times when you've had these shutdowns in the past, that's what it's been about. Uh, one party wants to, in the view of the other party, spend too much money or borrow too much or whatever. That's not what this was about. In general, both Republicans and Democrats were able to agree about spending levels to keep the government operating. The whole issue was about funding for, again, the border wall, fence, whatever you want to call it, that's been a centerpiece of the Trump campaign and the Trump presidency. President Trump wanted $5.7 billion in spending to build more of the wall, the fence, whatever. Democrats decided they didn't want to give him anything. And this this wasn't about the wall and border security. I mean, President Trump dug in. He said, this is what I want. This is what I promised. And you had Democrats, many of whom, as I've said before, you know, voted for border fencing and things like that in the past. They decided that they were winning this politically, so they didn't want to give President Trump anything. And and it really it wasn't about the merits of this. I don't think anybody seriously believes that a, a wall or a fence or whatever is, is immoral or anything like that. As as I've been saying repeatedly about this, you have fences all over. You got a fence at Summerfest to keep, you know, they, they want people to go through the entrances and pay, pay, you know, give them tickets. That's, you got a fence at Miller Park or walls at Miller Park. They're not immoral. They just, they just kind of make sense. I've never thought that a wall across the entire southern border of the United States made sense. It wasn't practical. There's areas that you don't need the wall. There's areas where building a wall is going to result in 20 years of litigation. But do do I think that fencing has a role? Well, of course it, it has a role. And so to me, this was the perfect thing that there was room for compromise on. But party the sides really did not want to compromise. Well, now government has reopened. 
It runs out of money again on Friday. It appears that Congress has cut a deal. And again, all the other agencies are going to be funded. That's not the issue. President Trump is going to get $1.375 B as in billion dollars for fencing or whatever. And there's some other collateral things as well. But he's going to get $1.375 billion. He's not getting five, he's not getting $5.7 billion for the wall, but he is getting something. Arguably, he's getting less than he could have gotten if he cut a deal in December, but that doesn't matter. Right now, there will be some funding for a wall, and the president is suggesting that he might be able to you know, pay for his wall through other things. But, but the president is being criticized by some on the right, saying, hey, this is a sellout. You, know, you, you promised us that you would get funding for the wall. You would get your 5.7 B as in billion dollars, and and that's not in this deal. So if you do this, you have you have caved in. Maybe we need to shut the government down again. Our number four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think on so many levels, whether it's the politics of it, whether it's the reality of it, by any stretch of the imagination. I think if the deal is what has been reported by the media, I think this is one where Congress should pass it. That would be the Democrats in the House of Representatives. That would be the Republicans in control of the Senate. And I think President Trump should sign it. I don't think this country wants to go through another partial government shutdown over this particular issue. If President Trump has other ways to fund his border wall, Okay, then we'll discuss those other ways. But at this point in time, if I were the president, I'd take my $1.375 billion, I would sign the deal, I would declare victory, and I would move on. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If President Trump cared about my opinion, it would be sign this deal. Let's get past what's been going on for the last 45 days. It hasn't been helping the country. And, Mr. President, arguably, I don't think it's been helping you. Now that you've got an opportunity to move past this, let's do it. What do you think? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 115. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 118, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. President Trump is going to be faced with a decision about whether he's going to sign this new funding bill that would keep the government open. He'll get money for his wall, but nowhere near as much money as he wanted. There's some on the right that are saying, don't sign this. This is a cave-in. He, again, there are reports that he's prepared to sign this. And then he says, I haven't given up on the wall. I'll sign this, and maybe there's other alternatives. Do you want to see the government shut down again over this issue? I think, I just don't think people want this. I don't think people have the stomach for this anymore. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Chris in Delafield. Hi, Chris. Hey, Jeff. Thanks. Great great sure. show. Thanks. Um, what do you think? He's got to shut the government down again. He's got to shut it down because he travels throughout the country when he's campaigning, talking about immigration. And he's fighting for what he said he was going to do. And he was elected on the things that he said he was going to do. My idea is we have all the, all the liberals that were uh, supporting this wall. There had to be video of this. Let's get that video out on some TV ads and let's put it back in their face. And we don't reopen the government until he gets exactly what he wants. 
Well, let, but let's let's play this out. I mean, the, the argument, the thing is, all right, there was a deal on the table that he turned down in December. So we've had the government shut down. There was all that angst, all the different problems. And now the deal, the deal that he's being presented with is, is arguably even worse than that. I guess my question is, what makes you think that if we shut it down again, that suddenly he's going to get what he wants? I, 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 well, it, it, I isn't it going to be worse? Yeah, well, here's, here's the thing that I, I think, and it, it's not trending this way, but this is what I think. Shut the government down and let the onus fall on the, on, on the Democrats. This is why the government shut down, period. Well, but of course. For this money, you wouldn't give it to me. You've supported this all along. And now I just want the $5.7 because that's what I promised the people of America, and I'm going to deliver on it. Well, I mean, Chris, thanks for I mean, I guess here's, here's my problem in, in the real world. Um, like, like I say, we, you, you go back, apparently there was a better deal, but by, by, I'm using the term better, I'm talking about funding for the wall. There was more funding for the wall in a deal that was to be made in December before the shutdown. You do the shutdown, and I, I think it was brutal on a lot of different Republicans. And the truth of the matter is it started to hurt a lot of people, not just the 800,000 federal employees. And I don't know that it got the president any closer to the wall. I don't remember this huge groundswell of people saying, we're with you, Mr. President, here, you know, keep the government shut down. Let's not get our tax refunds and things like that until you get your $5 billion. I think, you know, most people don't care about that much about this one way or the other to make it the hill that you're going to die on, figuratively speaking. Now, I understand, you know, this has been a centerpiece of the president's campaign. But as I frequently say, politics is the art of the possible. And and you've got divided government now. So you, you have to recognize that there's only so much that is possible. My thinking would be. You get the you get what you can. You you get the one point three billion dollars. Then you don't give up on the idea of the wall. You say, okay, I'm, this is what I've done. I haven't been able to get everything I wanted, but I've gotten some of it. And then you campaign on it. You make it an issue if you think it's a winning type of issue. But to me, to shut down the government again is just a losing proposition. Let's talk to Dan on the South Side. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Dan. Uh, Jeff, how you doing? Hi, Dan. I'm good. What do you think? Well, I agree with you 100%. I, I, I think that he should sign it and go from there. This guy that was talking to you, I don't know where he comes from. Does he, is he not? I mean, maybe he's not a physical worker or nothing, but I, I don't understand him. Shut the government down and have all these workers get off again? He doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry, but he doesn't. Well, no, th- I mean, th- look, th- I mean, look, I, I, I understand if, if by shutting the government down again, the president realistically think that he'd get what he'd want. I I, I get it. But, I mean, my best example, again, is we shut the government down and the deal has gotten worse. Okay, so why why would anybody think? And again, I'm talking from the perspective of people who 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 do think you need all five billion dollars for the wall. Why why would you do it if if you've done this, you've employed this strategy, we had the longest shutdown in government history, and, and it got you less than you could have had before that? That tells me that particular strategy isn't working. Why would you go back to that strategy? Maybe you move to plan B. Plan B being, all right, I've taken what I've gotten. The Democrats... They've, they've only given me 25 or 33 percent of what I want. All right, but now I've got some other ideas. So, you know, any problems with border security, it's still going to be an issue. They wouldn't fund the wall fully. I'm going to try to explore other avenues to get it. But to go back to a strategy that I think most of us 
would agree had failed. Just again, it's it's doesn't make any sense to me. That's why if I'm the president, I sign this and then I move on to whatever my plan B is. 414-799-1620. Uh, let's talk to Taylor in River Hills. Hi, Taylor. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I appreciate it. Very what do you much. think? Thanks for I was listening. Telling your screener, this is just like the movie Meatballs when they start chanting, "It just doesn't, doesn't matter." matter. <laughs> the, just Bill doesn't Murray's matter. first movie. I love Meatballs. It just doesn't matter because all the really cute girls are going to go out with the rich guys, anyways. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. So whatever Trump does, it doesn't seem to matter. The, the previous the other caller forgot to mention that Donald Trump promised that Mexico was going to pay for the wall. That right. was his first campaign promise. Now the $5.8 billion uh, promise that he said he was going to get, or he would own the wall, which two weeks after owning the wall, he completely just gave it back for some odd reason. Now, this is $1.8 billion, but to roughly, from roughly $6 billion to $1.8. So if somebody comes over to my house and cuts one-third of my yard, how can you call that a win-win situation and say that you won in this instance of trying to work for the government and the people? It's absolutely a loser move, and he's not going to get it. So to his base, it doesn't matter. They will still support him anyway. Right. And, and, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, no, thanks. Right. Well, and, and from the president's perspective, I mean, this is here. This is, this is if I'm the president, and this is how I spin it. I said, look, I, I am committed to building this wall. And unfortunately, we have divided government, and, and I can't get the Democrats to do this. So here, here's what I've done. I, I, I don't want there to be hardship on this. I've gotten a third of what I want or a quarter of what I want, and I'm committed to work night and day to figure out anything I can do to make sure that we continue to do this because I think the wall is important. I think that the right, the, the, the conservative base should accept that, and, and I think that – that to me is the is the, again it's the thing that makes sense. I just don't think the American public want to see another shutdown of government. I, I just, uh, I mean, it was maybe it didn't cause you a hardship. I know it caused a lot of people hardships, and I and I understand for federal workers. Okay, you had all these people that were working without getting paid. Now ultimately they've been paid. You got all sorts of other workers that um, essentially got a paid vacation. They had to defer their income for a little bit, but it's just it's just no way to run a government. And to me, regardless of where you are on building the wall or not building the wall, that that is at this point in time, it is a political issue. You know, we've got elections coming up in two years, and if you want to, you know, mobilize voters one way or the other, that's the way to do it. But I think using the government shutdown as a tactic to try to force a particular policy. That that really it hasn't worked since I started being aware of these government shutdowns in the mid 90s. I, I don't think this last one got anything done. And I think the president would be wise to move to a different strategy. So assuming the deal is what they say it is, I would say sign off on it and then let's come back with whatever the next idea is. It's 127. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The funeral of fallen Milwaukee police officer Matthew Rittner is underway. Um, we are live streaming that, so if you have Internet access, you can check that out and follow it if you choose. 
Uh, we, we've kind of made the executive decision that we're not going to carry the entire thing wall to wall on the radio for a variety of reasons, but we will we will be dipping in. There's a number of people who are scheduled to give eulogies, and when Milwaukee Police Chief Alfonso Morales steps up to the podium and gives his, regardless of what we're doing, we're, we're going to dip into that, and we will will carry the chief's remarks. So we are monitoring that at this point in time. All right, I want to switch gears. I, if you are a regular listener to this program, you know that I am a a pet lover. I am a dog lover. I have uh, I have a little dog who is one of the lights of my lights of my life. My wife always says, I know you really love me, but I never have to want it to be a choice between me and Sasha, to which I say, no, dear, don't, don't worry about that. But hey, I just, I, I, I love coming home and there's just the unconditional love. You have this little dog that's like glad to see you. Sometimes the dog is frustrating. Gru, who's producing the show today and always want to guess what happened at three o'clock in the morning last night. Sasha woke me up. She wanted to go out. I don't. I, I think what happened is she heard like a snowplow or something. She she woke up and so she figures, okay, if I'm going to be up, might as well have to go to the bathroom. So there, three o'clock in the morning, Dad is putting on his parka and putting on his boots and going out. But that that that's okay. It it is it is worth it to me. At the same time, I mean, I recognize that. While most dogs are are lovable and great, every once in a while you will have a dog that because of its disposition or the way it was raised or its owners or whatever is uh, imposes a risk to people. And and that's why I'm not a fan of pit bulls. I don't this is not the direction this topic's gonna go, but I, I'm not a fan I'm not a fan of, of pit bulls simply because I've seen too many stories where a pit bull that with no history of acting up has in fact acted up and there's been bad consequences. Well, anyhow, this is a story that is going on in Washington, in Waukesha County. And if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, every day I send out links to several of the stories that we're going to be talking about. And, and this is one. So I, I sent out a link to this story. It involves a great day. The, the dog's name is George. George is a Great Dane, and George is a big dog, 120 pounds. Whew. My dog is about five or six pounds, to give you an idea. George is 120 pounds. Waukesha wants to kill George. Waukesha wants to, I mean, that's what they want to do. They, they want to euthanize George because they say George is a dangerous dog. The family is saying, wait a minute. This this is this is not a dangerous dog, and the way you are applying this rule makes no sense. All right, so so here's here's the dog. They've got this ordinance which says again that families cannot have dangerous animals. All right, so here here's the deal. George is accused of of biting people twice. Here's the deal. In the first instance. Both of these instances involve family members. In the first instance, the dog bit the the wife, husband and wife that owned George, bit the wife after she and George were startled by a hooded man as he approached the door of their home. She eventually sought treatment, and because George is a 120-pound Great Dane, where where the bite occurred required stitches. Um, the family said the injury was minor, but there's a hooded person coming up to the door. George gets excited. I can see what's happening. The The lady is probably trying to just kind of calm down, calm down, and the, the dog nips her, bites her, whatever, 
couple stitches, nothing severe. The second incident, George, who, by the way, is a 120-pound Great Dane, apparently inadvertently scratched the toddler of the lady's niece when she was visiting their home. So you've got the, this little girl, she's a toddler, she's over at the house. George, did I mention, is a 120-pound Great Dane, and apparently what happens is George jumps up as um, B's niece was hold, as the mom's niece was holding the toddler. So the, the gal is over there, she's holding her, her child. George jumps up and scratches the toddler, okay? Um, though minor, the injury also required stitches. And I, I mean, I, my guess is this is happening because the dog is so large. You know, if it were, if it were a five and a half pound dog like my Pomeranian, the dog could jump up and nothing would happen. But because George is so big, you know, he scratches the kid and the, the child ends up with a couple stitches. Minor, minor injuries in both cases. The family says, hey, he, he's a he's a he's a gentle giant, but he, this isn't a dangerous dog or anything. At some point, Waukesha County's humane officer finds out about both instances. George nips the lady once. It causes some stitches. George jumps up while the other lady is holding the toddler. The toddler gets scratched, needs a couple stitches. And so then they decide, this is Waukesha County, that George is a prohibited dangerous animal. What that means and is that uh, they believe that George caused serious bodily harm. And as a result, George needs to either be moved out of the county or, alternatively, George needs to be euthanized. All right, well, the family says, well, we, we really don't have anywhere to go. We, he, George is 120 pounds, okay? We, we, there's nowhere else we can, we can put him. We really don't have options as to moving him out of the county. But more importantly, we don't think this is a dangerous dog. And these are minor instances which are arguably, uh, maybe they're made a little worse because George is so big, but we just don't think it's right to euthanize him. And they're fighting this. So they say no. So now the matter is in the Waukesha court system. Waukesha County is proceeding ahead. Let's euthanize George. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. This comes from my perspective as a pet owner, a pet lover, and in particular, a dog lover. I understand that, you know, people need to be safe from dangerous dogs. I hear the facts of this particular case. I think Waukesha County is out to lunch. I, I do. These aren't neighbors that are complaining that George got loose and attacked other people. You know, these are situations where George is excited when somebody he doesn't recognize is coming to the door. The lady is presumably trying to wrangle him in, and George nips her. It causes a couple stitches. Or George jumps up and scratches a toddler. To me, these are not the type of things that you euthanize a dog for. And I don't know what the heck Waukesha County is thinking. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. My guess is perhaps you own a dog. Does this sound like the type of situation that would justify treating a dog as a dangerous animal that needs to either be moved or killed? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 143, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Our text, this is so wrong. Great Danes are not dangerous animals. George was excited with the hood when the, with the hooded person protecting his home. All dogs jump on people. If this had been a small dog, there would have been no injuries at all. This is absolutely asinine. I agree completely. I mean, look, I... I and I, I, I get, I get the idea that you don't want dangerous dogs running around, but this, okay, you've got a dog that's excited around family members, and it sounds to me like the dog is just perhaps, well, it's 120 pounds, okay? So that dog jumps on you, um, it's going to have a, a different, result maybe than if my five and a half pound Pomeranian jumps on you. But this does not sound like me to me to be a vicious dog by any stretch of the imagination. I think Waukesha needs to back off on this right away. 414-799-1620. Jackie in Cascade. Jackie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? I don't think they should make those people euthanize that dog. I mean... The dog, I mean, especially in the second case, it scratched somebody it didn't even bite. And the first case, it was the owner. It wasn't. Right. And, and it wasn't a serious injury. I mean, it, the, the dog is 120 pounds. So the dog, right. I'm using the the dog nips at the person and you break the skin and maybe you need a stitch or two. But that's that's the that's the effect of just the size of the dog. It's a 120 you pound know, dog. No, I, ha- I did in-home care and I had a client that had, and I know people get outraged when you say pit bull because they, you know, and I'm not saying all pit bulls are bad, but this dog had had like five owners. And this guy ha- got it because it had bit people already. And it would warn you, you know, it bites. Right. And you come in and you could tell, you know, it put its tail between its legs and it was real sketchy. But it was, it was pretty friendly with me. But the one day I came in and for some reason, I don't know what happened, but it nipped my hand. And I just, then they did not want me to tell my boss. They did not, or mm-hmm. the company I worked for, because they're worried, you know, they're going to have to put it to sleep. And there's little kids running around the house and stuff, and I'm like, you know, i got to report it to right. my boss. Right. And personally, I think you're crazy for keeping it, because it, it, it had bitten people since they had it, too. You know, right. I mean, and that's a different story where I think that dog has issues well right no no, and i I get it jack it's going to vary from person to person these were also family members as well i'm listening to these stories and it's not like this is one where the dog gets loose and it attacks some stranger or something i mean i i i look okay somebody comes up and rings the doorbell of my house my my dog goes nuts because you know maybe it's the protective thing or whatever now she doesn't bite or anything but she's barking i guess conceivably could i see a situation where she gets so excited that if i put my hand around her mouth or near her mouth she might nip me maybe it's never happened before i i don't know she doesn't bite but but it's a small thing that's the situation i'm getting it's not like he's attacking strangers and as for the second instance that this just doesn't seem like serious bodily harm all right the dog jumps up on people dogs jump up i i get it i just for the life of me don't understand why waukesha this is the battle that they're wanting to fight somebody's you know sends me a text saying you know waukesha wants to humanely trap and relocate coyotes Okay, you know, which which do go out and kill things, but you know they, they want to move them around. But we want to kill George, Renee in New Berlin. Renee, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Renee. I think they're absolutely nutso 
my daughter used to walk two Great Danes for this lady down the street. And this was when she was a little kid. And these dogs, actually, they would walk her, not the other way around. But um, they would be so excited, and they would jump on her, and she'd get scratched. They never bit her or anything. But, you know, they are so big and clumsy, and sometimes they don't even realize what they're doing. And I had a shepherd wolf mix, and if she didn't like something that you were doing to her, she would put her teeth on you, but she never would bite down. It was like a warning enough, and we knew enough, okay, stop. Right. You know, but no, what they are trying to do to this poor dog and this family, they're crazy. Don't they have, they must be low on criminals right now. Well, or, or, da- I mean, thanks for, or dangerous animals, if this is it. Um, let's see, let's go back to our text. Mitch says, euthanize the humane officer. We had two Danes, he's being funny with this, we had two Great Danes in the 160-pound range. They are protective, but they are not dangerous. Well, I think that's kind of the... That's kind of the, the sentiment that I have. All right, here's a text from Carla. I'm a dog owner, a former dog handler at a daycare. I've had to put my own dog down to aggressive personality and, and multiple bites. That being said, this is absolutely ridiculous. I think this is an effort by Waukesha County to cover their butts in case anyone were to hear about this and may complain. Obviously, no one involved in this felt threatened by George. I hope they don't lose the case. Yeah, that's one of the mysteries about this is that how how the Humane Society got involved in this in the in how the county county dog control officer got involved in this in in the first place because it's not like the family members were complaining here's another text this is so wrong great danes are not dangerous animals george was excited when the hood with the hood person protecting his home and all dogs jump on people yeah there there is there is kind of an element of this and again look i i, I devoted a segment of this because I appreciate every once in a while there's the, there is there is a need to protect society, and I think that there is an obligation that you have as your as a pet owner to make sure that number one you have your animals under control, and number two that you you stop them from from acting out. I mean nobody wants anybody to get hurt, but at the same time, you know the, the step of, of having a dog removed from a county or euthanized is a pretty big step. And I guess I read this and I say, okay, the, the, they, they want to kill this dog because, gee, somebody came to the door, it nipped at the owner and caused a couple stitches of the owner's hand, or it jumped up on a lady when she was holding a toddler and scratched the toddler. The toddler needed a couple stitches because the dog is so big. This does not strike me as being this type of dangerous dog. And unless Waukesha has a lot more, you would think that they would have more to do with themselves. Paul Farrell, county executive. You're listening. Maybe this is one where you kind of go over and you say to corporate counsel or whatever, don't we have more important things to do with our time? Just asking. It's 153. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Again, the, the funeral of Officer Matthew Rittner is proceeding. They're at a point right now where a number of people are giving eulogies. We will bring you the eulogy um, from Milwaukee Police Chief Alfonso Morales when he steps up to give his. So we're monitoring that. And regardless of where we are in the program, we're going to break in at that point in time. It, nothing is, I guess I looked at this story and said, you know, nothing, 
Nothing is simple. And it, it's sort of a reflection on where we are in politics nowadays. At, during the government shutdown, if I can kind of back into this, what was frustrating to me, and I said this in the last hour, the government shutdown, it, it wasn't about legitimate policy disagreements on spending, which many government shutdowns had been about in the past. This was purely about President Trump wanted a wall, uh, a fence, whatever you want to call it. A number of Democrats had supported fencing in the past for border security, but but because they had decided there there was a political thing to be gained, they decided that they weren't going to support anything to do with the wall. And President Trump, because he had committed to building a great wall across the whole southern border, he, he had nowhere to go, and both sides were dug in. And, and of course, the, the whole answer was sitting down and compromising, which appears that they, they've finally done. But we went through we went through this because of all the politics and the political posturing that was going on. You're seeing a version of this that played out in the state legislature yesterday. This is Black History Month. And I think it is completely and totally appropriate that the state legislature issue a, a resolution honoring black, recognizing and honoring Black History Month. I think I would hope everybody could agree with that. Well, you have Democrats in the state assembly. Um, the 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 African-American caucus, their, their black caucus, they decide, OK, we're going to draft the resolution. And then instead of just drafting a resolution which recognizes Black History Month, the Democrats in the assembly decide we're going to start picking out what we want to do is we want to pick out individual African-Americans and, and we want to cite them for special recognition. Okay, so they choose a variety of people, including former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, DPI Superintendent Carolyn Stanford-Taylor, NFL coach James Caldwell, Milwaukee Bucks player Marcus Johnson, uh, Satchel Paige, the first African-American pitcher to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, former Milwaukee Police Chief Arthur Jones. I'm sure that one kind of rose from eyebrows. But anyway, they, 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 they put these different names out there as opposed to just a general resolution. And then one of the names they decide to include is Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick is, of course, he's, he's the former San Francisco 49er player who started the whole kneeling controversy. You know, he would kneel to make his statement, etc. And it's been extremely divisive. Now, I understand that there are some people out there who are huge supporters of Colin Kaepernick. There are other people out there who think that Colin, huge detractors of Colin Kaepernick, think that what he was doing was un-American, etc., etc. I don't want to have that debate. You know, we talked about that extensively when it happened. But but Colin Kaepernick is an extremely polarizing force, and, and I don't think anybody can argue that. When you say Colin Kaepernick, you immediately, I don't know, people are thinking he's either the greatest thing since canned beer and he's a martyr, etc., and there's other people that, that don't think that. By including Colin Kaepernick in this particular resolution, what you are trying to do is clearly make a political statement about something that everybody really shouldn't have any issue with, which is the you know appropriateness of recognizing um, Black History Month. So anyhow, you have the caucus that drafts this. 
and they include Colin Kaepernick. You have the majority of the state assembly who says, no, we're not going to sign off on a resolution that has Colin Kaepernick in it. You know, we're, we're going to take it out. And then, of course, you have the back and forth. Then you have people saying, oh, this is the argument. This is white privilege. You know, why should you white members of the assembly have a say in what it is that we black members decide to include in our recognition of Black History Month? And, of course, the answer to that is the whole assembly has to vote on this. And so people have have the right to do it. The more interesting question would be, what do we accomplish by taking a concept that all of us, I think, should agree on the importance of Black History Month and recognizing people? And, And what do we accomplish by taking a very current and very polarizing figure that not everyone agrees necessarily is contributing in a positive way to the dialogue. And I'm, I'm not taking a position on this. I'm just saying he's a polarizing figure. By putting that polarizing figure into a resolution, what you do is you create a controversy where none necessarily needs to be. I think you could argue, gee, why do you name specific people in a general recognition for you know creating awareness for Black History Month? But that 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 doesn't matter one way or the other. But now this whole thing is playing out. Should Colin Kaepernick be included? Is it racist for the white members of the state assembly or the state senate not to include him, et cetera, et cetera? And again, it's to me, it's a complete distraction from what the overall importance is, which is let's recognize Black History Month. But but why include this in the first place when you know that this is going to be an extremely controversial decision? If you want to recognize Colin Kaepernick separately, all right, then try to recognize him separately, and then you kind of can have the debate. But why muddy the waters in this regard? It's Again, it's because people have agendas that they want to push, and sometimes by pushing those agendas, you lose sight of what is the big picture, which is let's recognize Black History Month. It's appropriate. It's also 215. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two eighteen, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The Milwaukee Brewers 2019 championship season is right around the corner. This weekend is your first chance to secure your spot at Miller Park. It's the annual Arctic Tailgate, which gives fans a chance to purchase single-game tickets for the first time. WTMJ will be there all weekend in our big tailgater studio. Come by, say hello. Don't forget, WTMJ is your home for Brewers baseball. Today's the day. Pitchers and catchers report. It's only 39 degrees in Arizona yesterday, but it wasn't snowing. What wasn't wasn't snowing at all. Baseball season right around the corner. Hey, I, you know, one of the big stories this week is you have some wackadoodles in Congress that. And, and look, I, I think reasonable people can agree and disagree about different things. And then I think you have ideas that are just crazy. And there's no other word to describe it. They, sometimes they come from the right. Sometimes they come from the left. All right. One of the, the left ideas that's out there now that's just nuts is this whole Green New Deal. You've got a bunch of extremely liberal slash socialists who've been elected as Democrats, and, and they want to rework society. So they came out with this proposal, the, the Green New Deal, which essentially says what we're going to do is in 10 years – Get rid of all sort all fossil fuels. It's all going to be renewable energy. 
and it's going to be high speed transportation and we're not going to have airplanes anymore. We're, we're not, which actually one of the Democratic representatives of Hawaii said, well, I don't know how well that's going to work because, you know, Hawaii is an island, but we're not going to have airplanes anymore. And what we're going to do is we're going to have the, these new transit systems that run on the renewable energy, et cetera, et cetera. And we won't need that. And, and we're going to just rework America and we're going to guarantee annual incomes for everybody who's unwilling to work. So don't, don't worry about this. We're going to remake society. Okay, well, you can just kind of hear the bats like fluttering around in the belfry with these ideas. But it, it's kind of interesting because one of the aspects of the Green New Deal, again, is high-speed transportation. We won't need planes. We won't need planes. You'll be able to travel anywhere you, you want. No, no problem with that. Well, it, it's interesting because one of the things in California that they've been talking about for years is that they've been talking about putting in a high-speed chain, train between Los Angeles and San Francisco. Now, candidly, if you were trying to think of a place where, where maybe a high-speed train w- would make sense, you could argue, all right, Los Angeles, San Francisco, a couple of the biggest cities population-wise in the country – all right, you know, maybe maybe this is something where there really would be an appeal for this, just like you've got high-speed trains in, in various parts of uh, of Europe. You know, you've got the high-speed train that can get you from Paris to Nice in a few hours. Maybe this, if you could ever figure out a situation where something like this would work, well, well, maybe, maybe L.A. to San Francisco would be one of these places where it would, in fact, work. Huge population centers, people going back and forth, all the time and hey this fits into that whole idea of the green new deal we don't need planes to fly people back and forth this is what we'll do well interestingly the california governor garen gavin newsom who is very very far to the left he came out yesterday and green new deal notwithstanding said uh look let's just be real this high-speed train between la and san francisco it isn't going to happen we're we're giving up the 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 cost of this would be seventy seven billion dollars. The projections, you know, since they've been talking about this, it's ballooned up and up and up. He says he still wants to, you know, build some of this to connect it up to like California Central Valley. But he says, look, let let's let's just be honest about this. The current project, the high speed train between L.A. and San Francisco. Reality is it would cost too much. It would take too long. There's been too little oversight, not enough transparency. It just doesn't make sense, and it's not going to happen. That, I think, you could say to a lot of aspects of the whole Green New Deal. It doesn't make sense. It would cost too much. It's not realistic, and it's just flat not going to happen. And if you've got that coming from the governor of Wisconsin, uh, the governor of California, you can imagine it. Okay, Eric Bilstead. Officer Matthew Rittner's funeral is taking place. The last eulogy of the afternoon will be given by Chief Alfonso Morales. He is starting right now in Oak Creek. Has traveled today to express their support to the Rittner family and the Milwaukee Police Department. Some of you have traveled thousands of miles to be here. I cannot thank you enough on behalf of the Milwaukee Police Department. I also want to thank the dignitary officials that are here in support of the law enforcement profession and also in support of the Rittner family. I can't thank you enough.
George Papacristo, you are a wall that the Milwaukee Police Department is leaning on. I cannot thank you enough. And you have come to the police department in a time where they need you the most. Thank you. Now before I address you, I'm going to share one story about Matt. Just one. And before I share that story, I need to put it into context. During the 1980s and 90s, there was a big push on drug enforcement that led to a large number of search warrants. And during these search warrants, the drug dealer would use pit bulls to attack the intruders coming through the door. In the 1990s, I partook in these search warrants, and I encountered several violently trained pit bulls. In fact, I was bit by one. Now knowing this, after hearing about Matt, my priority was to share my condolences to Caroline and the Rittner family. I rushed over to the house, walked in, and was greeted with a huge hug from Caroline. As this was occurring, out of the corner of my eye, I see a 100-pound pit bull coming right at me. What do you do? What do you say? I hoped it was a nice dog, which it was. Jumped on me, licked me, strapped onto my leg. You can only imagine what it was doing. <laughs> I still didn't think nothing of it. I still didn't think what the meaning behind that was until I was ready to leave. And Matthew's mother-in-law asked me if I would take the dog with me. Curious, I asked why. And her response was, Matt rescued him during a search warrant. He was abandoned in the basement of a house. Who in the heck does that? A deed like this. Hold that thought till you hear what I have to say. As a law enforcement executive, and I stand here by myself, but I have a team of executives here. So as a law enforcement executive, we are tasked with developing the crime strategy that fits the needs of the community, and we swear to keep it safe. For the city of Milwaukee, our strategy is to focus on addressing the 10% of the community that possesses a threat to the rest, or poses a threat. We use data, we use technology, and we use human intelligence. We communicate this to the law enforcement team. And in short, we go after the person, again, that poses the, the most threat to hurt our community. Our goal is to go after them before they are able to reoffend. Before they can hurt another child or hurt another innocent victim. It's been almost a year that the Milwaukee Police Department, we started to push this strategy and it didn't take long to get us moving. We empowered our patrol captains to own their districts and rebuild community relations 
and also to rebuild that human intelligence that was lost. We gave the motorcycle unit and the tactical enforcement unit a different focus. The push is you to utilize the skills that you repeatedly train on. We gave you a sense of purpose. And we rebuild our investigations unit to assist the department in focusing on that 10%. And we gave them all plenty of work to do as we messaged this to the men and women of our department. Now thinking back to last year in March, if you'd have asked me, would I have anticipated any resistance from the bad guy? I'd have replied, absolutely. I'd bet my paycheck on it. What I would have lost on is knowing we would have lost three valuable God-fearing individuals in the process. Charles Irvine died pursuing a person involved in the violent mobile drug market. Michael Mahalski died going after a person wanted who was threatening to violently harm another. And Matthew Rittner died serving a search warrant on a person who was involved in selling guns to people that harm others. They died going after the problem that affects our community. They died moving the mission forward. If you think the consequences from the decisions we have pushed onto this department don't hurt, you're gravely mistaken. It hurts in ways that you cannot imagine. Believe me, it hurts. However, it comes with the job. Nobody forces us to be cops. We volunteer to do this job because we believe we make a difference. We believe we are a part of a greater good. We do this because it's the right thing to do, not the easy thing to do. A well-known military general once said, the military leaders of the 21st century bear an awesome responsibility in the decisions they make involving their troops. He went on to state that mothers and fathers will give their children to you and in short, you cannot fail. Never did I think this applied to law enforcement. The mothers, fathers, wives, husbands give their loved ones to us. And we as leaders, we cannot fail. Because the men and women who volunteer to do this job believe in the mission. To men and women of the police department, we do God's work. Every time we do our job, there is less chance a child gets caught in the middle and loses a chance to see this beautiful world. 
we keep the community safe and allow them to sleep peacefully at night. Chucky believed in the mission, Mikey believed in the mission, and Matthew believed in the mission. So, last week, a reporter asked me how I keep the men and the women of the Milwaukee Police Department motivated after three duty deaths. This question has made me think a lot. And not only about the members, but about the spouses, parents, brothers and sisters, every family member. I say this to the Milwaukee Police Department. Matt was a highly trained member of the Milwaukee Police Department Tactical Enforcement Unit. A person trained to be efficient with the sword. A person whose hands were trained for war and fingers for battle. But with a heart of compassion to save a dog that most will believe had no meaning in life. You will come back to work. And we will move forward. Because every one of you, and every one of you, there is a story like Matt, like Mucky, and like Chucky. We will move forward because they will live inside of us. We will move forward because the community has shown they support what you do and most importantly, express that they need you. And we will not let them die in vain. To Caroline, the Rittner family, I'm truly so sorry for your loss. Matthew will live inside of each and every one of us. You will always be family. God bless you. God bless the Milwaukee Police Department. And God bless America. Thank you. That was, of course, Milwaukee Police Chief Alfonso Morales giving one of the eulogies at the ongoing funeral of fallen Milwaukee Police Officer Matthew Rittner. It's very difficult to give, as anybody knows who's ever had the responsibility of giving a eulogy at a funeral, it's very, very difficult to do. You want to try to find the, the, the right notes and... And I think uh, Chief Morales certainly accomplished that. You You could just 
tell from his voice how how moved he was by this. This is, of course, the third member of the Milwaukee Police Department in eight months who's lost their lives in the line of duty. And this is unfortunately, again, the third time he's had to you know, be at a funeral of a Milwaukee police officer. And you can tell it's it's tough on the department and it's tough on the, the chief. And I think he hit the appropriate tone in connection with that. We are going to have ongoing coverage as the day moves on of, of the funeral. There'll be a funeral procession later on. We'll be bringing you wall-to-wall coverage about that on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. But if you want to see more of the funeral, we're live streaming it at WTMJ.com. But I did want you to have an opportunity to hear the chief's remarks, um, his eulogy for Officer Rittner. It's 236. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Thirty-nine. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The weather in Wisconsin might not be great, but things in Arizona are heating up. The 2019 Major League Baseball season is right around the corner, and WTMJ is your home for Brewers baseball all spring long for a full spring training broadcast schedule. And to see when Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre is on the microphone, go to WTMJ.com or text the word SPRING to the Acunet Mortgage text line at 414-799-1620. Now, obviously, t- today is the, the day of the ongoing funeral for Officer Matthew Rittner. I, I did... I, I don't want the, the other Milwaukee public worker who who lost his life last Friday. I, I don't want that to kind of get lost in all the attention that is appropriately being paid to the, the loss of Officer Rittner. Um, last Friday, if you will recall, Brian Rodriguez, uh, Rodriguez a 54-year-old you know, worker for the Milwaukee Department of Public Works, he was working street repair and filling in potholes where you had apparently a car, who knows what exactly was going on, smashes into Mr. Rodriguez, kills him in the back of the truck. The the driver of that car ran away, leaving the car behind and leaving the female passenger behind. I At least as far as I know, the driver is still at large. They're still looking for him now. The, the, the reality is that sooner or later they're going to catch him, but it really does tell you what type of person was behind the car that you would do something like this and then you would run and you would try to, to hide. But in any event, um, the well, here's the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. City employees and members of the public are invited to attend a visitation for Brian Rodriguez, the 54-year-old leader of a Milwaukee Department of Public Works street repair crew who was killed on the job last Friday morning by the hit-and-run driver. The visitation will be held from 9 a.m. until noon on Saturday, followed by a service at American Serb Hall, which is, of course, on 51st and Oklahoma, according to the news release. The service will be followed by a procession to Good Hope Cemetery, which is on uh, 43rd Street. And um, donations to the Brian Rodriguez Memorial Fund are being accepted at all landmark credit union locations as well. So this is... um, I just wanted to make mention of that because, you know, last week was a tough week in the city of Milwaukee when you look at, you know, two... In one case, it's a Department of Public Works worker. In the other place, it's a police officer executing a search warrant. But you have two public employees who lose their lives in the line of duty, as it were. And I, I just wanted to make sure that with all the attention appropriately being played, pay, paid to, you know, fallen officer, you know, Matthew Rittner, we, we didn't lose sight of the fact that you had another public employee, again, just doing their job, who ended up, you know, losing their life as well. There... 
there, there was a story that caught my attention, and I, I just I wanted to comment on it because it it's something that we don't talk about enough, but it's something that that the people who run Milwaukee need need to pay attention to. Now, I, I've lived here almost all my life, and th- there always used to be areas of the city which were viewed as as high crime areas that you probably to the extent you could you could you, you wanted to avoid them that that's that's just the, the reality of it one of the things that struck me over the last couple of years is as crime has spread th- there's really almost no area of the city now where you can be immune from the effects of that. And, and I, I find myself in, in my own life, there used to be when, when I'd have to, when I lived on the North Shore, you know, in Milwaukee County, and you'd have to go, for example, west to Waukesha County, there, there used to be, it was kind of like certain streets. Well, this is probably not the best street if you want to drive, you know, from, you know, Milwaukee to, to Waukesha. You want to perhaps choose a different route. And I've noticed that those routes ha- have changed. And it seems to me that streets that I used to take because you felt, well, these are going to be safe. They're, they're not safe anymore. And you rethink these positions. Well, here's the latest story. Okay, Good Hope Road, main thoroughfare in, in Milwaukee. Main thoroughfare, and certainly a thoroughfare that I, I've always considered to be kind of safe to safe to drive on. I mean, I when I was in law school, I lived off of 60th and, and Good Hope. All right. Well, so here's the story: Milwaukee police investigating a shooting that happened last night near 50, 46th and Good Hope Road. It happened about nine fifteen. Police say the victim. A 15-year-old boy was a passenger in a vehicle that was traveling on Good Hope Road. Okay, so this is 9.15 at night. There's a car. It's driving on 46th or 43rd Good Hope in that area. And apparently there's a 15-year-old kid who's a passenger in the vehicle. The story is, for reasons unknown, a subject in a different vehicle fired gunshots into the victim's vehicle. Bullets penetrated the car, struck the victim. He was taken to a local hospital by family members. The investigation is ongoing, etc., etc. But let, let's review the bidding here. Okay, it's 9.15 at night. It's, you know, a major Milwaukee thoroughfare, Good Hope Road, that you wouldn't, I think, typically think is going to be the, the site of a, of, a, of a gun battle. And what happens is you have some car that pulls up to another car, and, and we don't know. They're not releasing the circumstances. I don't know if this was a situation involving road rage. I don't know if it was a situation where you have, you know, rival gangbangers or, or whatever. I, I just I don't know if this was just a complete stranger type of thing. Don't know what happened here, but I do know at 9.15 last night, 43rd or 46th in Good Hope, what happens is you've got one car driving down the street and another car pulls out and they start firing on the vehicle. They start shooting on the vehicle. And a 15-year-old gets hit and ends up in the hospital. Now, I think the reports are that the, the boy is going to survive, and that, that's that's great. But we, we've now gotten to this point where it, it just doesn't seem to matter where you are or when you are there. If you're in this area, crime has spread so fast and so far that there's really no place that ends up being safe. 
And if, if you can't be on 43rd or 46th in Good Hope at 9.15 at night without being afraid that you might get yourself get hit by a stray bullet, it makes you wonder what the future of the community is. I bring this up simply to say we have to get a handle on this collectively. And I'm, I'm worried that we're going in the wrong direction on, on this. I'm worried because you have a lot of the politically correct types who are arguing, well, you know, we, we shouldn't be pe- putting people in jail and we should be releasing people from jail sooner and we, we shouldn't be having this mass incarceration and these types of things. Well, okay, I'm all in favor of trying to, you know, deal with root causes of crime. And I'm all in favor of trying to, well, discourage people in the first place from thinking it's a good idea, from taking a firearm and opening fire at a car that's going by on 43rd Good Hope, and in this case, hitting a 15-year-old boy. I'm all in favor of that. But at the same time, I mean, the one thing that I know for sure is that when you have people who act out in these antisocial and dangerous fashions, the answer is not not putting them in prison. The answer is not not protecting the rest of us. And I'm really afraid that we're moving in that direction. The idea is we want to be politically correct. We, we want to give people second and third and fourth chances. Okay, that, that, that's all great. But when you open fire, you know, on, on a main thoroughfare at 9.15 at night, I, I'm sorry, you're out of chances. And I'm not going to be sympathetic to you at all. And that's why we have jails. And that's why we have prisons. And I wish you didn't do it. Wish you would think twice before you pull out that gun and start shooting. But once you do, you've got to be removed from society. And yet nowadays we have people who don't want to do that. We want to come up with all these different alternative things. And let, let's let's go to dispute resolution. And let's try to figure out why somebody decided to fire that gun in the first place. Well, no, that that's all well and good. But... While you're trying to figure that out, let's take the let's take the person out of society to protect the rest of us. Two forty nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's two fifty two, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. iPhone users, WTMJ is a new and improved app. It's easier to find news stories, plus get notifications on breaking news and feature stories. You can also listen live or check out show podcasts. Go to the App Store on your phone to download now. When you get there, um, get the mobile app, and you can see all our different podcasts. You can also subscribe to the Wagner Show podcast. I know lots and lots of people do that because I get to see the numbers, and I appreciate that very much. We will probably talk more about this on tomorrow's program. Didn't have a chance to get to it today because, again, we were dipping into the ongoing coverage of the funeral services, which have just just concluded, and there'll be a procession in a little bit, I would imagine. We'll bring you wall-to-wall coverage about that on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. But uh, Tony Evers, the new governor of Wisconsin, to, to no surprise, because his designee to be the head of the Department of Transportation is, of course, a former lobbyist who actively campaigned against Governor Walker by pushing the need for more money for, for roads big advocate of the gas tax increase and our gas tax in wisconsin has been uh, relatively it's been stable for a number of years tony evers says that his state task force and this it was a given all along is nearing a consensus he wants to raise the gas tax it's 33 cents right now 
I, you know, who knows what he's going to raise it to? Will it be a couple cents? Will it be a nickel? Will it be a dime? Will it be a quarter? Will it be a dollar? We, we'll have an idea within the next few days where Evers wants to go with it. There was a time when increasing the gas tax would be an absolute non-starter. Uh, but, I mean, times have now changed. And I think one of the real interesting things is going to be how much of an increase in the gas tax will we Wisconsin drivers be willing to put up with? But the bottom line is, at least as it stands right now, to the surprise of no one, Tony Evers appears ready to make good on his campaign promise to raise the gas tax. I guess voters get what they get. We're going to be back with more in just a minute. We'll find out with John and Melissa. Scott Warris, who's now doing sports on Wisconsin's Afternoon News today. Stick around. We'll find out what they all have on their minds in just a moment. It's 2.54. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.